When I sit down to plan a funeral with a bereaved family, one of the questions that I always ask is, what scripture would you like read during the service? Sometimes a family member is quick to answer, but most of the time, well, they all look a little blank. And so I'll read through a few passages, offer suggestions, the 23rd Psalm, of course, Ecclesiastes 3, which is the one about all the times in our lives. But often it's when I get to John 14 and begin to read the opening words of this passage that I see heads begin to nod and tears to form. And with good reason. These are words of great comfort for those who have to say goodbye to a loved one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There are many places in my father's house. I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. The interesting thing about this is that as in John's gospel, it is the loved one who is doing the comforting. We're talking about a very tender time here. Jesus is sitting at table with his disciples during what we call the Last Supper. He knows that the time of his death is near and he is trying to prepare his closest companions for what is to come. To that end, he has washed their feet and shared a meal with them. But then things begin to get, begin to get very serious. Jesus predicts that one of them will betray him and soon after, Judas leaves the room. He tells them that he will only be with them a little longer and that they cannot come with him. When Peter protests that he will go with him, even if it means his death, Jesus bluntly tells him that he will deny it, that he even knows Jesus that very night. By this time, the disciples are troubled, very troubled. Why is Jesus leaving? Where is he going? If he leaves, what will happen to us? And who can we trust? Now at this point, Jesus could have simply said, that's all I'll say right now. But he didn't. Instead, he offers words of reassurance to his confused disciples. Don't worry. Trust in God and trust in me. And then he makes the first of several promises. Though I'm going away, I am going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. I will come back for you, and we will be together. It's comforting to think of, well, I don't know what you have in your mind, but the words from King James talk about mansions, or you might think about a grand hotel in the sky when you hear those words at a funeral. But Jesus is offering something even more wonderful than room service. For those who put their trust in him, he is offering the very presence of God. An old hymn comes to mind. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. That's what Jesus is offering, life near to the heart of God. Jesus has come from God, and after his death and resurrection, he will return to God but he will not abandon those who are left behind. On the contrary, Jesus tells the disciples that the heart of God is also their destination. 
The relationship that has become the center of their lives will not end with Jesus leaving. On the contrary, he will come again, and near to the heart of God, they will be with him. What's more, Jesus tells them, they know the way to this place, to this presence. His words puzzle the disciples, and maybe us as well. And Thomas, ever the practical one, voices what is on there and perhaps our minds. What are you talking about, Lord? We don't know where you are going. How do you expect us to know the way? I need something more, Lord, a map, uh, some directions, an address to put in my iPhone. I imagine Jesus smiling as he says, but Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. David Lose writes, Jesus is telling Thomas that he already knows the way. Precisely because he follows Jesus, Thomas can't get lost. The disciples have no need of directions or a map. All they need is Jesus. But then comes the next sentence and words that we so often get hung up on. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. Bear in mind that Jesus has just said, there are many dwelling places in my Father's house, and he is not setting limits here on who will occupy those rooms. Jesus is not saying, if you don't believe in me, you are doomed. Or if you don't believe in me the right way, you are in deep trouble. That's taking Jesus' words out of context and making a promise into a threat. Here's the thing. You have to keep reading because Jesus doesn't stop. He goes on, if you know me, you will know the Father also. I'm grateful for commentators who help me to understand the difference that the Greek grammar makes here. Here's how the word should read. If you know me, and you do know me, you will know my Father also. Just to make the point, Jesus asks, and from now on, adds, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. We who claim the name of Christian accept Jesus' words as truth, that through him we know God as our Heavenly Father. But it's not our job to impose that truth on others. I trust first that God is somehow at work in the faith traditions that are not my own. I find also that I have to entrust those who do not believe, some of whom I love very much, to the God whose love I see reflected in Jesus. In the meantime, I have plenty to work on in my own faith. For starters, it wouldn't hurt me, or maybe you, to spend some time pondering just how we know and see God in Jesus. Upon hearing Jesus' response to Thomas, Phillips jumps into the conversation with a rather audacious request. Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. I wonder if the rest of the disciples gasped. Did he know what he was asking to see God? Dear Philip, Jesus replies, have you been with me all this time and you still do not know me? Yet even as Jesus gently rebukes Philip, he gives him what he asks for. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
Listen to me, Philip. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe because of the works themselves. Jesus is the incarnation of God, the Word made flesh, and his words send us back to the very first chapter of this gospel, where it says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, literally, who is in the bosom of the Father, who has made him known. Jesus whole purpose was to reveal the love of God so that we might receive God's grace and have life abundant. He made that love visible in every work that he did and in every word that he uttered. But instead of trying to explain all this to his and confused disciples, he simply and graciously reminds them of the relationship that they share. In the words of David Loos, Jesus offers not so much an answer to their questions as himself. As he has so many times before this night and as he will even after his resurrection, Jesus offers himself generously, intimately, joyously. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Here is grace, and once again, promise. Followed by yet another word of promise that may surprise us. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. Two things. First, Jesus actually fulfilled this promise in his answers to Thomas and Philip. When they asked him, he gave them what they needed. He told them what they wanted to hear. Second, with these words, Jesus entrusts his mission on earth to his disciples. He is leaving, and now they are to take up that work. And third, Jesus is not just reassuring the disciples that they will be with him in eternity. He is telling him that they will be with him and through him with God in the present as they go about that work. That's a lot to swallow, isn't it? It is. And up to this point, I think, up to this point, I think Jesus' promises have been wonderful. To be with him in the presence of God for eternity, to be guided into a life of love by following him, and to be in relationship with God through our relationship with him. But this last promise is harder to accept because we all know the pain of prayers that haven't been answered and the frustration of being able to help someone we love and the feeling of hopelessness that is ours when we look at all the troubles in the world. How can we possibly do greater works 
than Jesus himself. Theologian Elizabeth Johnson suggests that this promise from Jesus gives us the idea that we will do greater works in the same way as Jesus did, with miraculous power that instantly makes a difference. But Jesus didn't promise that. She writes, Jesus promises to be with us through the power of the Spirit, to work in and through us through, to accomplish his purposes in the world. This does not necessarily happen in spectacular, easily visible ways. Yet wherever there is healing, wherever there is reconciling, wherever there is life-giving work happening, this is the work of God. Wherever there is life in abundance, this is Jesus' presence in our midst. Perhaps that is the whole point of reading this passage, to remind us that even now, 2,000 years plus after Jesus' death, and even here in El Segundo, Jesus is present in our midst. If only we will open the eyes of our hearts to see him and that his promises still hold. If you ask, I will give you what you need to do my work. If you follow me, I will lead you home, and there is room for all, for the Peters and the Thomases and the Phillips, and for you. If you know me, and you do know me, you know the heart of the Father. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. On that night long ago, Jesus' disciples felt as though their world was coming to an end. But it was just the beginning. And in some ways, I think we feel that or Easter feels like it's also an end, an end to Lent, the conclusion of Holy Week, the culmination of the church year. But the resurrection that we celebrate is a new beginning, even now. And the risen Christ invites us once again to trust in him as we walk in the way of love, as we share the truth of God's grace and mercy, as we live life in gratitude and hope. Now it is our task to share the heart of God and to welcome others home in Christ's name. May we, do, may we do so in faith and trust, following the one who is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is risen. Thanks be to God. Amen.